0: We are just a couple of weeks away from Election Day here in the States, which means it's time to get out and vote. But Adam, we're tech nerds. We don't care about stupid politics. And you're right, and I agree. But Juan Carlos Bagnell is here to tell us why we're all wrong. It's the Benefit of a Doubt podcast. Welcome to the Benefit of a Dowd podcast. I'm your host, Adam Dowd, and this week, we're looking ahead by looking back. I talked with Juan Carlos Bagnell about this topic way back in June, and here we are getting ready to carve our pumpkins. But I was saving this topic for a time when it really mattered, and in the U.S., it matters very much right now. Election Day is coming up, and unlike last week's episode, I'm not going to tell you who or ask you who to vote for. I'm going to ask you to go out and vote... Vote by mail, vote early, vote on the day, but you know, bring a book. But please go out and vote. And Juan is going to tell us all about how to be more part of that conversation. And before you start to like freak out a little bit, I should tell you that Juan is here just to talk about the intersection of technology and politics, not necessarily like what to vote or who to vote for, nothing about voting. Actually, voting doesn't even come up in the conversation. But Juan is here to talk about technology. And politics. So we'll get to that. But first, it's time for the news of the week. Before we get started, I have a couple of things that I want to talk about. First and foremost, do not forget our contest is going on right now. You can win a Lenovo tablet that doubles as a smart screen, and all you have to do is send in a question to our you Review segment. We just did our Blue G90 Pro review. We have our Revel 5G coming up next week. We have the Moto Edge Not Plus review coming up in just a few weeks. You have until November 3rd to submit questions for any of those devices. And yes, despite the fact that the review already published i will still give you credit for the g90 pro even though you were a slacker and didn't send in your question in time for the review i'll even answer the question that you ask so just send in the questions and i can tell you i've got a really good and really smart question for the rebel 5g so you have a fairly high bar to meet so just ask away also i wanted to point out that prime day happened this week so i wanted to take a little stroll through what i picked up on prime day Not a damn thing. I mean, my wife did some shopping for our son's birthday, but me, personally, I didn't get anything. And trust me, it's not because I didn't want anything. I wanted a lot of things. But none of them had really super-duper tempting prices on them. And my rule of thumb is typically, if I'm saving $100, I probably can't afford it. So, you know, whatever. Hope you all picked up some nice goodies on Prime Day and made some killer deals. I just wasn't one of them. But I did buy a $1,000 iPhone today, so there's that. Slack is trying really hard not to be the old, boring Slack going forward. Slack has looked at its customer base and discovered that it's not cool like the cool kids. So it really wants to be cool. Or at least it doesn't want to be considered a work tool and wants to be a social platform, which is fun, I guess. I guess it wants fun startups to be in Slack rooms and share pics and stories or something. Which probably explains why one of the features Slack CEO Stuart Butterfield is gushing about is the idea of stories. As in, it wants to copy stories from Instagram, which itself copied stories from Snapchat. But Slack wants to copy this feature so bosses can put together short videos for meetings. Plus, Slack wants to create audio rooms that people can hop into and out of, like Discord. Plus, they want Slack users to be able to chat with other Slack users through the use of private links like BBM. Wait, BBM? Seriously? But Slack, buddy, homeboy, chill. You don't need to be Discord or Instagram or BBM, and for the love of God, don't be BBM. You can just be Slack, and that's okay. Fix the problems that Slack has. Don't create new ones. This is a developing story, but I can tell you positively, I will not be delivering this podcast on Slack anytime in the future. Facebook, the crappy company run by terrible people, might just get a little less crappy in the not-too-distant future. Specifically, Mark Zuckerberg said in an interview that Facebook would start banning Holocaust denier content on the platform, which is, I mean, it's refreshing, but it really shouldn't be, because it shouldn't have been there in the first place. Zuck said his thinking on the matter has evolved out of idiocy and into normal. Originally, Zuck didn't want to ban content that was quote wrong because people say wrong stuff all the time well sure but holocaust denial isn't a wrong thing it's a wrong philosophy that actually damages other people so in addition to banning political ads after election day facebook is now going to ban holocaust deniers which makes me wonder (laughs) who's going to be left on the platform after all this oh right decent people and racists, and neo-Nazis, and drunk uncles. Okay, so I guess it's too early to say who will be left, but it's fair to say that there will be fewer despicable people on the platform, which is a laudable goal. It's also around 60 years too late, but a laudable goal all the same. There's a collection of nations called the Five Eyes Security Alliance, which is composed of Australia, Canada, eh? New Zealand, the US of A, and the United Kingdom. Mmm, pip pip cheerio. And they, along with Japan and India, I'm not even going to try those accents, are calling on tech companies to build backdoors into their systems so that the good guys can catch the bad guys. Seriously, they want companies like Facebook and Google and Apple to build in backdoors into their systems so the government can read encrypted messages in matters of national security. Or if they just happen to be curious about what something has to say, I don't know. The statement says, quote, We, the undersigned, support strong encryption, which plays a crucial role in protecting personal data, privacy, intellectual property, trade secrets, and cybersecurity as long as we can read it whenever we want. I made up that last part, but that's basically what they're saying. And the good news is, if they're saying it, (laughs) that means they can't do it now, and that's a good thing. But they really, really want to. But, you know, only to keep people safe, and to spy on citizens in order to keep them safe. (laughs) Right. And they even played the child rapist card by saying that if Google doesn't let the NSA into anyone's Gmail account, child rapists can still communicate, and yes, that is technically true. But everyone knows they all use Snapchat now. And that's only because, geez, somebody has to use Snapchat. I'm Okay, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I don't know if child rapists use Snapchat. They honestly probably don't, because let's face it, nobody really uses Snapchat anymore. So on behalf of tech companies out there, let me just tell Five Eyes and Japan and India, um, no. You're going to have to do actual police work to catch the offenders. Sorry, no put them in jail free card for you. Disney is still trying to figure out how to make money in a pandemic, and it seems the answer might just be to become Netflix, which is to say that Disney is looking at Disney Plus and content on that platform to bring in money to the company that can't make movies anymore, can't report on sports, and can't let people into theme parks. The only thing they can do is reach out to people who are all stuck at home, which it's doing very well to the tune of 100 million users or so. But the thing about streaming content is, they can film it under safe conditions, but unlike movies, they don't have to worry about bringing a whole bunch of people together into theaters. They can pipe the content directly into people's homes, and that's a win for them. They won't make as much money doing that, nor for charging $30 for early access to a movie, but Baby Yoda alone can probably account for $10 million a year or so. So there's hope. Can Disney keep up the Baby Yoda-level original content? That remains to be seen, but Disney is off to a great start for now, and here's to keeping the momentum. Beat Saber, my favorite game on VR, in case you somehow weren't aware because you literally just started listening to me today, released Multiplayer Mode this week. Multiplayer Mode allows you to partner up with up to five other people, either in a private server or with a few randos, and compete against each other in real time. I'm honestly not sure Beat Saber needed this, But we have it. It is neat, don't get me wrong. You're all playing the same song at the same time with avatars, and the person in first place gets their avatar plastered up in front of everybody. So it's kind of cool. The only thing is, Beat Games made absolutely zero effort in actually explaining how the mechanics of this actually work. And I'll give you just one example. Five people go into a room, and each of them picks a different song and difficulty level. Five different songs potentially five different difficulty levels. Then the host presses play. Which song gets played? I can find no rhyme nor reason to it. It looks like they'll go with the majority if more than one person picks the same song, then that song gets picked. But beyond that, you can't see, but this is a podcast shrug. I played with friend of the show Nick Sutrick last night, and I discovered that while he dominates me in technique, I destroy him on speed so much that it actually violates some international treaties. (laughs) But seriously, it was fun. But Beat Games really needs to figure out a way to let other people communicate while they're in the room. I get why people wouldn't want everybody talking over one another during the songs, but in the waiting room between songs, there needs to be some kind of communication there. Anyway, regardless, baby steps. We'll get there. Huawei is not taking its enforced isolation very well. So much so that it's looking to sell off its Honor brand, which is Huawei's low-to-mid-tier phone division. The reason being is, oddly enough, if you're going to sell a phone without Google services on it, it has to be a really, really good phone for anyone to, you know, want it. Otherwise, you've got two phones in your hand for $200. One of them has Gmail, the other one doesn't. Hmm, let's see here how often do i check my email right that's not a conversation that's going to take very long Interesting parties include digital china tcl and xiaomi and personally i'm rooting for tcl because they would rock the hell out of that line of phones and there's actually a chance that they might see us shores but anyway the sale is reportedly worth 3.7 billion with a b dollars so honor doesn't come cheap See what I did there? To be honest, the Honor puns seem like low-hanging fruit, so that's going to be the last of them. But it's still, it'll be interesting to see who ends up with the brand because Honor have always been really, really great value phones, and it'll be great to see someone continue that tradition. OnePlus launched its OnePlus 8T phone this week, and as expected, there is no Pro variant, but there is a Plus variant, which is the only one available in the U.S. Peachy. OnePlus has a lot of work to do in the presentation department because their presentation was so damn boring. I'm sorry, OnePlus, but just take a look at Apple's presentation or Google's, that's the bar. And speaking of Apple, we'll talk about Apple in a few minutes, but for now, the OnePlus 8T reviews dropped at the same time, and across the board, they're all just like, eh. The OnePlus 8T adds 120Hz refresh rate over the 90Hz refresh rate on the OnePlus 8. Plus, it also adds 65W charging that won't necessarily increase your electric bill, but it kind of feels like it should. The AT is missing wireless charging and an IP rating, except in the T-Mobile variant, which does have an IP rating. And right there is kind of the problem. OnePlus has too many variants, and yeah, I know, it's only like three of them, but they're starting to do what LG did to its international variants a few years ago. They'll put some features in one phone, but not in another, and it almost seems arbitrary. And for a company that wants to claim, we're not one of the big boys you're kind of acting like a big boy. Hell, I'm waiting for next year when they're going to have a OnePlus Mini because they're totally not copying Samsung, who totally won't be copying Apple. And speaking of which, that dovetails us nicely into our next story. Both Samsung and OnePlus this week mocked Apple's decision not to ship a charger in the box. Now, before we go on, I need to point out that, yeah, Apple's dumbass decision to not ship a charger in the box is As much as they want to say it's environmentally friendly, it has nothing to do with the environment. It is dollar signs. It has to do with money and cheaper shipping, period. End of meeting. We can all go home now, and no, we don't validate parking. Anyway, both companies mocked Apple about it this week, which means I'm calling it now by mid-2022. Both companies will also no longer ship chargers in the box. And you want to know how I know this? Look at the headphone jack. Both companies mocked Apple's (coughs) courage. Now we need to throw up. Sorry. Both companies mocked Apple, and then both companies did the same damn thing like two years later. So, folks, bookmark this episode. And, in fact, watch this. Okay, Google. Remind me on July 1st, 2022, both Samsung and OnePlus have stopped shipping chargers.
1: Got it. Both Samsung and OnePlus have stopped shipping chargers. This will be for July 1st, 2022. At what time? 10 a.m. All right, I'll remind you on July 1st, 2022 at 10 a.m.
0: So let's see how that goes. Speaking of OnePlus 8T reviews, Pixel 5 reviews have started to drop as well this week, and the consensus seems to be that it's the best Pixel phone ever. Well, duh. But many reviewers are calling it the best phone to recommend to people despite the $100 MMVST tacked onto the phone. Between the build and the new features and the amazing cameras, this is a great phone to recommend for $599. Unfortunately, this phone costs $699, and it's still a good phone to recommend at that price, or so they say. Or so most of them say. Because on the other hand, Android Police has a more scathing and not entirely inaccurate take on the Pixel 5 that actually cut back on way too much to justify the $699 price. There's no more face unlock. There's no more premium build material. Because glass is premium, I guess. The chipset is slower. There's no telephoto lens. But at the same time, there's more RAM, more base storage, better battery life, overrated 5G, and yes, I'm going to say it, overrated, way overrated wide-angle lens. Suck it, fellow reviewers. So, does that necessarily add up to a better Google phone? David Ruddock at Android Police isn't so sure. As for me, I've often said that the Pixel 4a is my favorite phone from 2020 so far, though I still have like five more phones to review this year, two of which are the Samsung Galaxy S20 FE and iPhone 12 Pro. So there are still contenders coming. But the Pixel 5 seems to be the Pixel 4a with a slightly bigger screen, a much bigger battery, and 5G. So honestly, there's kind of a lot to like there. I'm down with it. I just hate that Google compromised the price because honestly, without that... stupid, stupid choice. I would be reviewing a Pixel 5 as we speak. It probably would have been next in the review queue after the Rebel 5G next week, but I feel very strongly about the millimeter wave Verizon stupid tax, so I am just not going to go there. Sorry, maybe next year. And finally, remember that jetpack person from a few weeks back at LAX? Well, He or she is back. That's right. This week, our jetpacker was spotted outside LAX at a whopping 6,000 feet of elevation, zooming around the airport like a moron. Now, one time, I could see this being an accident. Like, whoops, I didn't mean to come so close to the airport. Or, whoops, I didn't know the rocket was that powerful. Or something. But twice, this person is trying to say something. And honestly, I hope what they're saying is, please come put me in handcuffs, because that's all that should happen here. This person is being reckless, irresponsible, and dangerous to themselves and to passing aircrafts. They won't even let drones fly near airports because it's too dangerous. They definitely don't want a thousand pounds of metal, jet fuel, and meat flying around airplanes that are trying to land safely. This person needs to be caught and put away very quietly because they do not deserve any press or notoriety from this. They need to go away like a bad case of fleas or like coronavirus when it gets warm no wait that's a bad analogy actually it's a stupid stupid analogy that no one should have ever said let alone all right all right i'm just gonna stop now oh there was an apple event this week why yes billy there was oh marvelous well tell us what happened I'll tell you what happened. I slipped into a character there, and I have no idea why. Well, anyway, Apple did have an event this week, and it has a number of big announcements. So, yeah, they get their own segment. And Apple started off with the HomePod Mini, which is Mini in size only. Starting at $99, or, you know, the cost of a full-sized Amazon Echo or Nest Audio, the HomePod Mini is a small version of the HomePod, because, of course it is. Apple is touting amazing sound and something the size of a softball, and I will not be getting one to verify, because it still runs Siri, which... Sure, they have to run Siri, but Siri is so very crappy, just no thank you. Fun side note, the podcast Tech Stuff just did a retrospective on the development of Siri. It's actually a good listen. Go check that out on Tech Stuff, and hello to Jonathan. Anyway, moving on, Apple is punching up the Home Pod a bit with new features like a multicolored electric tie-dye-looking top, music sync throughout the home, intercom, and a not-crappy Siri. I'm just kidding. Siri is still crappy. Of the features that Apple talked about, arguably the most interesting is intercom, but it's also one that I had many questions about. Intercom is basically broadcast from Google and whatever the hell Alexa's equivalent is. I only have one Echo, so I can't tell you. You can tell Siri, tell XYZ Speaker whatever you want, and it'll repeat that on XYZ Speaker. You can also tell everyone a message, and this is where stuff gets weird. On Google, if you broadcast something, every speaker in the house repeats the announcement. On HomePod, or in the Apple ecosystem, it's a bit different. The demo had a dad driving home with pizza who broadcast using CarPlay. Then all the speakers repeated the announcement, but then so did one girl's AirPods, and like, what? So is, like, every iDevice in the house broadcasting this thing? Because... That's a little crazy. I can just imagine a family member deciding to be a jerk one night and bombarding everybody else. iPhones, AirPods, speakers, everywhere. Yikes. So if that's what's going on, hard pass. Then Apple turned over the floor to Verizon so they could give a five-minute speech about blah, 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 millimeter wave is terrible, so fine, we're going to do a sub-6 5G network, so now you can all shut up about it. And that was basically it. It was a five-minute commercial for Verizon's 5G network, which now boasts absolutely nothing more than what AT&T and T-Mobile have been offering for months, except that it's late as hell, and just what the hell, Verizon? So anyway, let's move on to the big announcements, and there were four of them. There's the iPhone 12 mini, the iPhone 12, the iPhone 12 Pro, and the iPhone 12 Pro Max. The prices are $699, $799, $999, and $1099, except not really, and we'll talk about that in a second. The real star of the show turned out to be the iPhone Mini, which unfortunately does not go on sale or ship until November. It has a 5.4-inch screen and just as much everything as the normal iPhone, except battery, presumably. And it looks cute, but I'm going to be getting the iPhone 12 Pro to review, so I won't be able to gush about the Mini, I'm afraid. Nor will I be able to gush about the normal-size iPhone 12, either. Now, let's take a look at those prices. Apple advertised the prices as $699, $799, $999, and $1099, but those prices are only for AT&T and Verizon customers. T-Mobile customers and unlocked phones have to pay a $30 penalty on the $699 and $799 variants for some damn reason. Technically, AT&T and Verizon customers get a, air quotes, $30 instant discount. But what Apple, nor AT&T, nor Verizon was able to clarify is why. Now, I'm not going to harp because it's only $30, but it's still kind of BS for customers that aren't on those two carriers. Suck a fat one, dumb and dumber, as John Ledger would say, and god do I miss him. Now, the iPhones do not have fingerprint sensors, nor do they have USB Type-C, nor do they ship with charging bricks, as we talked about before. They do ship with USB Type-C to lightning cables because Apple hates consumers. The iPhone also doesn't ship with headphones either, but that's okay because those headphones were pretty much garbage anyway. So, yes, we will be getting an iPhone 12 Pro for review, subsidized by the iPhone SE I just put on Swappa. Link in the show notes if you want to buy a genuine review phone of mine. And you might be thinking, well, aren't you going to be paying the millimeter Verizon stupid tax? And no, I'm not, or at least not really, because the price for the iPhone 12 Pro is the same in the U.S. as it is overseas, but, you know, in Euros. So that means the entire world is paying the millimeter wave Verizon stupid tax, which, strangely... I'm actually more okay with. The overseas version doesn't have millimeter wave gear in them, so if anybody should be pissed off, it's the French. For no particular reason, they just seem unhappy a lot, you know, when they're not making love or giving cigarettes to babies and stuff like that. So Apple spent the bulk of its conversation talking about the cameras and 5G, but mostly the cameras. Near as I can tell, the iPhone 12 has just as good setup as the iPhone 11, which was already pretty damn good. And honestly, that's the part I'm looking forward to reviewing the most. I would love to walk around town with the baller cameras of the iPhone 12 Pro in my pocket, and once you add in the Galaxy S20 FE and the LG V60 that are already in my labs, we've got some fodder for some great camera comparisons, so stay tuned to that. We'll get more into the cameras during the full review, and we're going to talk about all the iPhone cameras later in the year. Spoiler alert. But let's move on to, honestly, the most exciting thing that Apple announced. MagSafe. That's right. The recently defunct charging method from MacBooks now makes its way to iPhones with magnetic wireless charging. Apple inserted magnets into the back of the iPhone 12 and uses them to properly position the phone for wireless charging, just like Palm did... Way back in 2009. But I'm not saying that to be a yuck-yuck, palmed it a first a-hole. You don't need that. I'm doing it because it's a legitimately good idea, and it's about damn time that someone stole it. I'm excited about it. I really am. And according to someone on Twitter, the Nexus 5 had something like that, but... It was a Nexus phone, so no one really paid attention. Still, bringing it into the mainstream is amazing, and I'm excited to see how quickly Android OEMs jump on board that train, because that will be awesome. In the meantime, stay tuned for our iPhone 12 Pro review, which is slated for sometime in November, and I'm sure we'll have a lot more to say about it between now and then. So that about sums it up. Apple did a minor upgrade to its entire lineup and bumped up the price another $100 by introducing the mini phone. Will other OEMs jump on board the mini phone train? Will we finally get flagships smaller than six inches? Will MagSafe become a flood of accessories? I sure hope all of those turn out to be true, but for now, we need to order the phone And wait, I'll get to the review as soon as I can, but spoiler alert, I've got a lot of reviews between now and the end of the year, so (laughs) wish me luck. you probably shop at Amazon, right? Sure you do. I shop there. Honestly, way more than I probably should. Fortunately, there's a great way that you can do what you do and help out the show at the same time. If you visit benefitofadao.com support, you'll find a link to my store on Amazon. Click on the link and voila, you're at Amazon. So go ahead and search up something. And if you buy it, I might get a small commission, and it won't cost you anything extra. There are more great options for helping me out at benefitofadow.com/support. That's benefitofadow.com/support. You'll get a list of all my affiliations and monetization options, all wrapped up in a neat little package at benefitofadow.com/support. I hope you visit. I hope you go shopping, and as always, I thank you for listening. These days, it seems like everything merges with politics. Stay in your lane, comes the cry. We're tech people, not political pundits. But with companies like Huawei, Twitter, Amazon, and Facebook making headlines alongside the names of Donald Trump, Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi, and Rush Limbaugh, how can you not? Well, our next guest has practically made a career out of this intersection. He's a tech guy, but he's, um... Not shy about sharing his political thoughts as well, and since I make it a habit to never discuss religion or politics with anyone less apathetic than myself, I thought I could use a few pointers and maybe a primer on everything that you need to know to talk tech and politics in this day and age. You're probably familiar with his work from places like Pocket Now, Newegg, and SomeGadgetGuy.com. Juan Carlos Bagdell, welcome to the podcast
1: boom i'm stoked to be here and I'm, I'm glad you brought me in for this topic because it's it's one that i feel uh a number of techies tend to shrug off and we should be probably keeping a better handle it, on.
0: it, it really is and like the last couple of episodes and of course this is going to air like you know weeks from now but the last couple of episodes that i'm talking about right now we've dealt with you know twitter's air quotes censoring donald trump we've mm-hmm. dealt with um you know uh was it Nancy Pelosi who was calling for to break up Facebook? And we've dealt with Oh Elizabeth Warren Elizabeth made Warren. that a part of her That's campaign. So. I, yeah. I so. get those two confused. But, <laughs> but we've seen that that call from a number
1: of politicians, and it seems like you know the right and the left both have grievances to air about our current social media uh corporations. Yeah, And
0: you know, we've even seen like Elon Musk calling for a breakup of 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 uh Amazon. So it's like recently you can't really I mean, well, you can. I mean, obviously, there are some topics that are fairly safe, but, um, you know, it seems like every other topic these days in tech has some type of political wrangling to it. And, like, I find myself going off into the weeds, and I am a a political neophyte. Like, I'm not even sure I qualify for a neophyte. Like, I just—I try to avoid it as much as possible, yet I— Occasionally have to discuss it. And so I was thinking to myself, I'm like, you know, it might be interesting to have a conversation about how to do this. And I couldn't, I mean, honestly, you know, Juan Carlos Bagnell was numbers one through 36 on my list. <laughs> um, followed by Tori Spelling, who some I don't even sure how she made it on the list, but there she is. I mean, um,
1: if if she's the number thirty seven to my one through thirty six, I think you're doing your job spot right, on. Right,
0: right. That is absolutely perfect. so. Um, so and, and like normally for these interviews, you know, we we kind of talked about this off the air. Like normally, I'll have a list mm-hmm. of questions that I I want to ask. You know, like how how is TCL approaching foldables, and you know, what does TCL think about five G? I don't have that for this right. because I am a political neophyte. I don't even know what questions to ask. So uh, mm-hmm. now, I, I do have kind of an outline of topics that I want to kind of touch on. But sure. but first, like like I said in the intro, you've made a career of this. So like, I mean, mm-hmm. not probably not intentionally, but you're not shy about your political um, <laughs> beliefs. And by the way, folks on the right, you are probably not going to like this conversation. Just FYI. Um But so I want to I wanted to ask you, like, how did you start? I mean, how did you when did you realize that you needed to just kind of face this head on and just tackle it aggressively?
1: Yeah, it's one of those things that I I know a lot of techies that that kind of bristle at political conversations. But the reality of our our hobby is that geek took over the world. You know, the geek did inherit the earth and the entire future of basically every industry that's going to be relevant in the 21st century comes down to the things that we're passionate about as a Mm -hmm. hobby, you know, from, from smartphones and tablets to computers, to web services, to software and coding, literally everything is kind of going through us. And and I I don't believe we've been shown a better example of this than how the world economy has, has struggled, but continued to function in light of a recent pandemic. So whatever your political leanings, uh, I know a lot of conservatives start bristling when I when I bring up things like regulation, but I don't feel that this is a a Democrat or a Republican kind of, you know, uh, banner to fly. Uh, What I see is the continuing confluence of conservative ideology, not necessarily Republican ideology. Um, there, there's a there's a fair amount of like libertarianism in there too for s- some of these topics also, but then more progressive uh, conversations to meet because right now I feel where we re- actually have the biggest problems are just agreeing on what the problems right. are. Uh, I I feel like uh, there there are two political entities at play that refuse to acknowledge the actual world we inhabit as being something tangible and they each have wildly different interpretations of what reality should resemble and and that's that's unfortunate because i don't feel we've faced that uh that that kind of political division sort of manufactured by media but that kind of political division in generations past so when it came to me i i i really felt like I really felt this was a, a an issue or or an arena, I should say. I needed to jump into. Um, I can't remember exactly how long ago it was, but I, I believe it was during the Bush administration. There was a bill that went up to Congress called the uh, Broadband Consumer Choice Act, and it was basically a bill sponsored by uh, I can't remember who wrote it, but it was co-sponsored by McCain. And the contents of the bill basically made it impossible for any community to have a choice of broadband pro- provider. Mm. and that and that it was that dichotomy of political doublethink and anti-consumer behavior that that really that that really lit me up that that activated me as as, as like a political um as a political operative. and uh, it, it was very unfortunate because i mean, if, if you've been following the news lately, the United States has fallen out of the top 10 internationally for broadband speeds. We're slipping. We continue to pay the most for, you know, now we're the 11th place in the in the world for things like broadband service. We We don't know how many Americans really don't have access to broadband. They're irrelevant to any 21st century conversation or any 21st century industry. And even if you do have access to broadband, there's no guarantees that you've got consistent access or that you can afford it. And none of the our recent administration uh, policies regarding this this place have have addressed that.
0: I am so so it's it's a lot of surprise. moving parts. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. It, it, there there are a lot of moving parts, but you know the Broadband Consumer Choice C- Act came out. I saw McCain had had co-sponsored it, and I wrote a letter to my congressman. Mm-hmm. And I mean, just I, I didn't know what else to do, and I put in this information. You know, like you know at the time I think we were ranked like like ninth in the world or something like that you're like hey this these are the problems this is what people pay for broadband compared to the rest of the world something like this is very anti-consumer because every industry depends on competition that's not a politically loaded sentiment you can be liberal or conservative and understand that your service doesn't get better unless you have competition real competition that the consumer can choose from and i got a reply back from one of his staffers and, and like I wasn't really expecting that. I was <laughs> expecting to write this email and have it just sort of go into the right. ether, um, just talking about uh, what what I hoped Congress and the Senate would um, would see from this. And again, I, at that time, I was pr- pretty lean politically too because I'm writing a House of Representative Cong- uh, House of Rep member talking about something that's going on in the Senate. Um, you know, I, I wasn't quite exactly sure my own citizenship uh, history teachings, what what branches of government did what, uh, but I got a reply back and uh, I sent another email. Uh, they asked for some information, like some of the sources that I was citing, and I sent them over some links. And then I got a reply back from Henry Waxman himself. Mm. And it was probably just like a, you know, a little dummied up email form letter. But, you know, again, for someone who had never had any interaction with an elected representative to, to get an office reply and then ev- even just, you know, a token gesture, you know, hey, we appreciate you, you know, sort of your civic duty and and joining conversations and and helping us inform policy. I mean, that meant a lot. You know, that that was actually a huge gesture because I know a lot of people around this country, and and myself personally, I've written to Brad Sherman, also here in California, never gotten any reply from Brad Sherman's office or
0: from Brad Sherman himself. So what would be a good way to approach, like, okay, so take me who... Again, a political neophyte. So I really at, 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 like it, it's really hard for me to even start the conversation because I'm probably going to be wrong. <laughs> oh, we're first. in the conversation
1: right. now, man. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing that's crazy is I, I think a lot of geeks have, have considered themselves evolved above. And and I feel like that's been a fallacy that we've sold ourselves because we're so into futurism and technology. And Star and Trek key... where
0: everybody gets gets those... along with each other.
1: But but the, but to think about those core ideological messages of like the early days of the internet, bringing people together and knocking down barriers, and was going to be this egalitarian utopian, these little fl- flavors of libertarianism, you know, uh, you know, sort of a, a man's worth and value. And mm-hmm. the reality of it is, all of these systems and constructs and controls, we have an enormous. You know, population of people the world over that need to be sort of rung through uh, different stages of technological evolution, and and now again, I feel like we're being confronted by some of these amazing, uh, sort of hopeful and utopian tools that we've created, are only just a step shy from authoritarian controls, and it's really now on us to kind of untangle that. Those of us who are tech savvy because we'll be the ones that help inform. We'll be the ones that communicate with our family and friends. What is it that we want the future to look like? Mm -hmm. And we can draw from fiction and from media and from the world around us in reality. And we can can sort of wrap our brains around the nuts and bolts of some of this stuff in a way where maybe some of our more consumer-oriented friends and family might not have access to this. And again, I really don't think the solutions come from a liberal or progressive ideology or a conservative um, or libertarian ideology. It's we need to engage in grown up conflict so that we can arrive at a compromise that incorporates different people from different regions at different times so that we can actually spell this stuff out. It's no longer a luxury that we can afford to sort of be above politics. Politics rules everything that we do it's a it's a part of every action that we take, of every phone we pick up, of every browser we we log into. we're We're not above it. We're in it. And if we ignore it, then other people that we don't that aren't as savvy as us mm-hmm. get to make decisions about what we can do. right. And I would prefer to be a part of the decision making process and not let. Aged politicians getting kickbacks from multi-billion dollar corporations. And that's the only voice they're going to listen to. That's not the future I'm
0: going to want. That makes sense. So we. we, we Enjoying this interview. Did you know that there are over 10 more minutes of time where we talked that ended up on the bonus version? The full interview is available to all of my patrons right now over at patreon.com slash benefit of the doubt. For as little as $2 per month, you can get in on the ground floor of this podcast and help support the show. Plus, you'll get additional benefits like access to my Discord, early podcasts, bonus live shows, and so much more. Just go to patreon.com slash benefit of the doubt. That's patreon.com slash benefit of the doubt. And if you don't want to be a patron, that's okay too. Full interviews become available at the beginning of each new month. So, for example, trimmed interviews in January will have the full versions on February 1st. I don't want you to miss out, just head over to patreon.com slash benefit of the and you can listen to the full interviews even if you don't subscribe, because I still want you to love the show. There are more great options for helping me out at Benefitofadow.com slash support. That's Benefitofthedoubt.com slash support. You'll get a list of all my affiliations and monetization options all wrapped up in a neat little package at benefitofadowd.com slash support. I hope you visit, I hope you take in some full interviews, and as always I thank you for listening. So we, we, we talk about the left wing the right, the Republicans, Democrats, et cetera, et cetera. I'm just kind of curious from a technological standpoint, from what you've seen, in your opinion, mm-hmm. and I can't caveat this anymore because <laughs> um but like what if you had to name kind of like a top three conservatives and 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 and, and liberal politicians that seem to get it that seem to understand what's going on from a technological perspective because i mean honestly it doesn't take more than 10 minutes of watching the facebook hearings to realize that most of these guys have no idea how any of this crap works so like but i'm just kind of curious like who who do you look to in the political landscape that seems to kind of get it from a technological perspective
1: well, there there are are actually quite a few. Um,
0: Give me your the, the, Mount Rushmore. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, which is actually again political. Now that the, I think about it, but anyway. <laughs> so, well, yes,
1: actually, very very cogent. Um, the so so I would actually start with our FCC. Um,
0: uh, oh Ajit Pai, you're a fan. Okay.
1: Yeah, no, not not Ajit Pai. Um, he he is. I I, I can't I can't point to someone who's a more obvious shill in a form of regulatory regulatory capture. Haven't you seen the mug? Like it's the
0: Pai. mug. Focus <sighs> on the mug,
1: but but I I would also maybe check out Jessica Jessica Rosenworcel, uh, who's a chairman a chairwoman on the FCC. Uh, some of her counter arguments to FCC policy while she's serving the FCC as a commission um, have been very very well uh, presented. Oh okay. Um, it, it, and again, I'm sort of talking more currently. I I, I can't think of a better Lisa Simpson. For most topics than Elizabeth Warren. Okay. I mean, she's, she is literally that nerd who has the playbook that she's written for every single, you know, she's like a, a parks and rec, you know, um mm-hmm. you know, she's got a binder for any conceivable situation and, and a lot of her platform as it surrounded uh, banking. Plays in really well with a follow the money kind of regulatory approach for uh, for uh, technological concerns. Okay. Also, um, it, it, it's always worth. I think Gigi Sohn is one of the most uh, is one of the most educated voices on on these topics for broadband adoption, net neutrality, uh, the protection of online civil liberties, and and typically doesn't approach this from an ideologically left or right position. It's just a lot of this speech coming out of regulatory action um, is going to sound more liberal leaning, but I, I feel it hasn't been properly disseminated around more conservative circles that if you pr- want to protect free industry and free market economies, our current administration isn't doing a very good job of that. Mm. If you like competition and you like smaller government, then there is actually a very good argument for smarter federal regulations as opposed to completely deregulating markets that are already crazy and insanely uh, monopolistic. Okay. Um, Tom Wheeler. Um, so if you can find some of his writings, he was a former head of I the gonna FCC I was going to say he was Obama. he was
0: involved with the FCC. I recognize that name. <laughs>
1: and, and and then it, it's 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 a little like eating your vegetables. But you, you were absolutely right. The Facebook hearings were a god awful mess. Um, but if you watch Sunder Pachai testifying before a House committee, mm-hmm. it's about two hours of video. I sat through this. I mean, it's it's not the easiest watch, <laughs> but you're going to see a number of of elected officials. Actually start tagging some some really thoughtful questions. I mean, some of our, our politicians, especially our younger politicians, are starting to get on the train. Mm-hmm. And, and so while, you know, we've got Trump, who I, I think can owe most uh, much of his uh, groundswell to a very savvy uh, command of social tabloid media. journalism and social media, Facebook and Twitter, mm-hmm. you have the flip side of someone like an AOC um, who is also very savvy mm-hmm. at interacting with people at a very grassroots kind of way. That, that's, that's a very interesting conversation to watch evolve. But on top of that, I, I think, you know, AOC is very skilled. She's she's a very gifted politician. I think she's very erudite and and considered in, in her approach. But then you'll see someone else kind of peek in from behind with another question that's specifically targeted at a very nuanced legal situation facing a company like Google. In fact, you see those questions kind of leak in in very sort of uh, – um, you know, lawyer cross examining, cross examining kind of ways where we we started the in the first hour and we got him on the record saying, "Well, Facebook, I mean, Google is a is a distribution platform. We're not a publisher. We're protected mm-hmm. by this um, Communications Decency Act." And then another another politician will sneak in with a so when something's objectionable, you remove it from your platform. And if you're not if you're not paying attention, you're missing the nuance of that where. Mm-hmm. You've just gotten someone to say we don't have editorial control over our platform people are free to post whatever we're just Google and we just spread it out there right Oh but if our advertisers are upset, oh we totally have editorial yeah. control to remove content yeah and, and again that it's that kind of language it, it's those little legalese very specific flavors of definitions of words and, yeah. that actually get really interesting and logical and that, that's the kind of stuff.
0: So, exactly, yeah. and
1: and that's what kind of lights me up about having some of those conversations now. Where, oh, he just said this. That's not really what he means, <laughs> and, and it gets really fun. <laughs> I mean, you can kind of understand why it's a game. <laughs>
0: that's a, that's a good point. That's a good point. So, okay, well, you know, I, I honestly, you've given. We could talk about this for hours. Um, and and I honestly have kind of lost track as to how, like how long we've been talking about it. So I'm going to ask one more question, then I'm going to let you. Uh, let you uh, like pimp your sure. stuff, but um, w- are there any resources that you can think of off the top of your head that would be a good place for my listeners to go to get a good sense as to you know um, the political ramifications of a given tech topic? Like, what's your kind of go-to publication for like when you want to read more about? Let's just say, you know, any type of, like, tech. I, I understand that there's going to be different, like, nuanced resources for different topics and whatnot. But, like, if you had to, you know, maybe a top five or something. I can put links in the show <laughs> notes or something. Like, I like the. – I'm going to just throw out names. I like The Verge and I like – TechCrunch and I like, you know, and they all have real balanced political... No, they don't. But anyway. Um, yeah. So,
1: so that yeah. that's actually a major problem is I, I feel like a number of publications kind of get a feedback response loop from their readers mm-hmm. as to what the tone of that publication should resemble. And it's hard to kind of untangle, like, this is an objective news source. I, I just... I've never been one to believe in objectivity, you know. Like right. even with the documentary, you chose to point the camera that way and not that way. So you made a decision, and you're no longer objective. This right. is a subjective viewpoint, and the philosophy of that is a, another two hours of dopey <laughs> coll- collegiate level philosophy conversation. Um, I like John John uh, John Brodkin's work over at Ars Technica. Okay, I think he he lays out a lot of these. Washington insider tech stories, yeah. not not just generally political, but like when something is affecting businesses, corporations and the telecommunications industry, I think he's doing a great job. Um, but but I would also recommend kind of going directly to source, okay. you know, whenever I can catch a, you know, a, a, a committee meeting on C-SPAN. I feel like that is. A truer representation of the political process, as opposed to someone's interpretation or a couple select sound bites. That the, the I, again, I, I keep wanting to point it out. Sundar Pachai in front of that committee, you saw two or three clips of the oldest members of that committee going, "I don't know how internets work," right? But you missed an hour and 50 minutes of other conversation because mm-hmm. all the media did was select the dopiest quotes but you didn't actually see the rest of the political gears turning and that makes you a woefully uninformed voter when it comes time to look at who should be reelected and who shouldn't be right so so when you can you know a c-span feed an actual committee hearing especially for your state and in your city governments if there's you know a town council meeting and they'll stream it, tune in because those are the people that are going to decide for you what your cell phone coverage looks like, what your the zoning on Fios might resemble. They're going to make all those decisions for you. And so if you don't care, they're probably going to make decisions that you don't agree with. And then I would also just recommend kind of keeping up with the platforms and some of the conversations coming out of organizations like the EFF and the ACLU. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, civil liberties the protection of privacy uh consumerism responsibilities and and what is the relationship between a multi-billion dollar data brokerage corporation and one little person on the ground you can't fight that fight by yourself your voice is irrelevant against that much money unless you're joining a community of people that are trying to have these conversations gotcha
0: all right, all right, Juan. Thank you very much for coming on and and talking all about this. And you 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 know so much more about this than I do. So I, I definitely needed I, I definitely needed to tap into your expertise in this matter. And I think we I think we all learned a lot. So if we wanted to learn more about Juan Carlos Bagnell, where would we go? The floor is I'm yours, sir. I'm all
1: over the place. I I mean, the easiest place <laughs> just to kind of where I staple all of my. Content together is over on Mm somegadgetguy.com. I mean, I've got a a handful of written editorials there, my YouTube videos, uh, often now my Twitch videos, because I give higher quality versions of my videos to Twitch than I do to YouTube, um, because I'm trying to live my political, (laughs) my political truth. Right. Um, If you catch that, you'll, you'll probably be kept abreast of anything specific that I'm working on. And then just for gadgety and. Tech reviewy stuff, uh, my YouTube channel, Twitch channel, and uh, the content that I produce over at Newegg. I mean, you can also just watch the fun videos over there too.
0: Awesome, awesome. Well, I will link to whatever you want in the show notes. So probably, <laughs> probably some gadgetguide.com. But um, awesome, awesome to have you on, and I appreciate you taking the time. And hopefully, we can have another conversation sometime soon. Absolutely. So that's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. I'd like to thank Juan Carlos Bagnell for jumping on and helping us all get a little more involved in politics, regardless of which way you lean. If you are in the U.S. or if you have the right to vote, regardless of where you live, I would encourage you to go vote and be involved so that you can be a part of the conversation. Not just complain about it afterwards. As always, I'd like to thank Cliff Thomas for all of his hard work behind the scenes. And of course, I would like to thank you for listening and for giving me the benefit of the doubt.